DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of several books, including Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, Heaven and Faith, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Anthony. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. We're going to see in this next prayer, uh, Day 9 is all about going deeper into the mystery of Christ. God has predestined us to the adoption of children through Jesus Christ, in union with Him, according to the decree of His will, to make the glory of His grace blaze forth, by which He has justified us in His beloved Son in whose blood we have redemption, the remission of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which has abounded beyond measure in us in all wisdom and prudence. The soul now a true daughter of God is. In the words of the apostle, moved by the Holy Spirit himself, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And again, we have not received a spirit of slavery to be still led by fear, but the spirit of adoption as children in which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself gives witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But if we are children, We are heirs as well. I mean heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, if only we suffer with him so as to be glorified with him. It is to bring us to this abyss of glory that God has created us in his image and likeness. See, says St. John, What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Now we are the children of God, and we have not yet seen what we shall be. We know that when he appears we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him makes himself holy just as he himself is holy. This is the measure of the holiness of the children of God. To be holy as God, to be holy with the holiness of God. And we do this by living close to him in the depths of the bottomless abyss within. Then the soul seems in some way to resemble God who, 
even though he delights in all things, yet does not delight in them as much as he does in himself. For he possesses within himself a supereminent good, before which all others disappear. Thus, all the joys which the soul receives are so many reminders inviting her to enjoy by preference the good she already possesses and to which nothing else can compare. Our Father, who art in heaven, it is in this little heaven that he has made in the center of our soul that we must seek him and above all, where we must remain. Christ said one day to the Samaritan woman that the Father seeks true adorers in spirit and truth to give joy to his heart. Let us be these true adorers. Let us adore him in spirit, that is, with our hearts and our thoughts fixed on him and our mind filled with his knowledge imparted by the light of faith. Let us adore him in truth, that is, by our works, for it is above all by our actions that we show we are true. This is to do always what is pleasing to the Father, whose children we are. And finally, let us adore in spirit and in truth, that is, through Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ, for he alone is the true adorer in spirit and truth. Then we will be daughters of God, we will know with an experiential knowledge the truth of the words of Isaiah. You were carried at the breast, and he will caress you on his knees. In fact, God seems to be wholly occupied with overwhelming the soul with caresses and marks of affection, like a mother who brings up her child and feeds it with her own milk. Oh, let us be attentive to the mysterious voice of our Father. My daughter, he says, give me your heart. Beautiful. It, it is. It's a very beautiful reflection. It's very rich. Actually, two programs ago, we talked about the whole theology of predestination, and I talked about how... Um, for Elizabeth, she's looking at pre predestination like the Eastern Fathers of the Church do. That is in the order of, of execution, or what does this mean for my life? In the West, we've had a tendency of looking at predestination as, oh, as a doctrine by which we try to explain who's in heaven and who's not in heaven. But in the book of Ephesians, and in the writings of the Eastern Fathers, and in, in the writings of Elizabeth of the Trinity, Predestination isn't about the future life. It's about something right here and right now. And in this passage, we have been predestined in Christ to receive from the Father every spiritual blessing so that we can become the praise of his glory, so that his grace might blaze forth. And what this means then is that right now the Father is blessing you. If you have been baptized... Uh, you've already been the special object of the Father's affection. If you have not been baptized and you feel drawn to baptism, you are an object of the Father's affection. And that means he is 
lavishing his love on you through Jesus. And um, to call you to himself, the Father is calling you through his Son, Jesus. And the more you say yes to Jesus in your life, the more the Father will bless you and, and lead you deeper and deeper into the mystery of love. And so this is how Elizabeth understands predestination, that the Father from before time began has an eternal plan, and the plan is that we should be blessed through Jesus. And whenever we say yes to that plan in our life, and let the Father bless us through Jesus. Let him wake up in our hearts devotion to Christ, devotion that leads us to live out our faith with our actions, leads us to live out our faith in our hearts by our prayer, leads us to rely on Jesus more deeply. This is the reality of what it means to be predestined in, in Christ, the reality that St. Paul is talking about. Elizabeth wants to tie our um, our relationship with Christ into uh into this eternal reality. And the reason why she wants to do this is in our spiritual lives, sometimes we're going along and we think it's all us or we think that it's we're making mistakes and things are uh, haphazard and, or God has forgotten about us. And in all those kinds of questions, what's lurking behind those questions is a lack of confidence in our Father, a lack of confidence that he really wants what is best for us that he really yearns for us to thrive. Sometimes in the back of our hearts, we have a propensity of, in fact, not only uh, not trusting him enough, but even distrusting him and thinking that we need to handle things on our own. As long as we're falling back into that and not trusting the Father, not trusting in the Lord, not relying on the Lord, as long as that's kind of the, the reaction of our souls, we don't really get to grow into the, the depth of encounter that the Lord would, would want for us. The Lord wants us to entrust everything to him and to believe that he is enough for us. It seems as though everything in it is the acknowledgement of Jesus in us, the dwelling that it's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me, but even more so in that relationship with that loving father. Yeah, and this... You know, you're right, and this is the great work of grace. For Elizabeth, she doesn't really use the word grace very much, but mm -hmm. the theology of grace totally lives in her writings. The way she uses descriptive language for, for grace, and so for her, she'll describe the inner movements of Jesus' heart. That's grace. When the inner movements of Jesus' heart are, are moving in you, that is grace. What is grace? Grace is a gift from God that makes you like him. And so to have your heart move with the same sentiments and emotions and affection uh, that moved in the heart of Jesus, that's being made like Jesus. That's grace. It's a gift from God. Um, and, and, and so in the very beginning of that prayer, in fact, we heard it's we're not slaves and we're not to relate to God in fear. We're to relate to God as his children, meaning with all the affection of love. How can we do that? On our own, we can't. But with Christ living in us, his presence in us, he, Jesus, gives us the affections of his heart, uh, allows us to be stirred and, and informed by those affections. It transforms everything. And, and what this means is, is a trusting, surrender, to uh, the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the depths of our heart as he moves on our affections, even when we can't feel it, 
even when he mm. doesn't seem like he's there. This is the reality of what's happening, and we cleave to that by faith. If you have a relationship, then, Anthony, in a relationship in that trinity where she's placed us squarely in there, it really is heaven, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what eternal life is? Aren't we experiencing it then, here, and now? Yeah, it it's beautiful to think about what heaven is. We go all the way back to Genesis. Remember that heaven and earth were separated. Heaven is the place where God's will is done. And on earth, we find out pretty early in, in Genesis, earth is a place where it appears that God's will isn't always done. At least his creatures can rebel against him uh, down here. And mm -hmm. and God, though, never gave up on us and constantly renewed his promise to save us. And that promise was fulfilled by Jesus. And what did Jesus teach us to pray? On earth as it is in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and so to say that our souls are heaven is to say... This is the place where God dwells and where his will is accomplished, even in the face of my weakness. And this gets back to our, our beginning reflection today. You know, a lot of people think when they go in to pray and they turn within, they enter into silence. They have a knee-jerk reaction or a distaste for prayer because they think it's going to be boring. But the Father's will is never boring. It's surprising, astonishing, amazing beautiful, wonderful, but never boring. Our biggest problem is our hearts are closed to the wonder of what he is going to accomplish in us. And the reason why our hearts are closed to the wonder of what he's going to accomplish in us, the reason why we don't totally embrace our identity as sons and daughters of God is because we don't trust him. We don't trust that he has everything we need to satisfy us. Now the question is, well, how can I, I know I don't trust him enough. How, how do I build myself up so that I can begin to trust him? What do I need to do? This is where Elizabeth today gets incredibly practical in talking about adorers in spirit and truth. She talks about adorers in spirit, and, and in this she talks about attending to the Lord, to his presence. And, and so I just want to say a word about this. Right now, uh, while you're listening to this program, uh, while we're talking to each other, Chris, the Lord mm -hmm. is present to us. We might not feel the presence. We might not be able to imagine the presence or intuit the presence. He is nonetheless present to us. And we can choose to believe in that presence right now. We can turn our attention to it we can look for him because the reason why we know he's present to us is that he rose from the dead. And risen mm -hmm. from the dead, um, his love for us, nothing can stand between his love for us and our, our hearts. If that is true, all we need to do is, is look to him. He is the mountain from whence comes our help. And if we look to him, like the psalm says, look to the mountains from, I look to the mountains from whence comes my help. My help comes in the name of the Lord. If we look for him, even if we can't feel him, even if we can't imagine him, even if we can't intuit him, if we choose to believe he's there anyway, his presence begins to 
transform our hearts. It begins to feed us. It begins to inform us. To help us with that attention, we can do something very, very practical. And that is each day we can make a prayer time where we dedicate ourselves to filling our thoughts with thoughts of God. We can do this throughout the day, but it's also important to have a specific prayer time where you have the Bible. Um, uh, uh, some people use a little per- periodical called Magnificat. It has all the readings, the daily readings in it, plus readings from the lives of the saints and, and other beautiful little articles. Whatever you use, it doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, the, the Bible, the liturgy, the hours, um, uh, or the writings of a saint or a mystic, or the writings of Elizabeth of the Trinity. And if you sit down for uh, 15 minutes to a half hour and simply read, and then as you read, you'll find these beautiful, beautiful ideas that are in the scriptures, uh, ideas that are filled with God. And when you notice those ideas or you find those ideas that are just filled with God, rest with those ideas. Allow those thoughts to fill you, to inform you, so that um, the, your mind becomes formed uh, uh, to think in this theologically, to think uh, theologically, theology in the ancient sense was to have your mind soaked with God, soaked in his presence, soaked in his truth, baptized, uh, held captive by Christ. And so as you're reading along in the scriptures or in St. Augustine or whoever you choose, you'll notice all of a sudden your mind pausing on some idea that's so rich and so beautiful. Elizabeth is saying, let that happen. Let your thoughts be occupied with him. She's inviting us to find readings and read scriptures and to think uh, about our faith and let our mind get caught up in it. And the more our mind is caught up with it, we find it easier and easier to attend to his beautiful presence, his presence that is always there. We find it easier to believe in that presence even when we can't feel it. So this is one practical thing. Then a second practical thing that she tells us to do is to do good works, to do works of mercy. There are corporal works of mercy and there are spiritual works of mercy. Corporal works of mercy like feeding the hungry, uh, taking care of the sick, visiting the lonely, clothing the naked. These are things that we can go out to our local soup kitchen and do them there. But they're mm-hmm. also things that we can do in our home. Mm-hmm. We don't often think about setting our the table as feeding the hungry, but that, in fact, is what we're doing. We don't often think about doing the laundry as clothing the naked, but that, in fact, is what we're doing. Our homes can be little Nazareths. Uh, Nazareth is the place where Mary and Joseph took care of Jesus. And mm-hmm. we, could, we can choose to make our homes into a Nazareth if we choose to see all the different people who live in our household his uh, different pre- uh, uh, dis- disguise, Jesus disguised in our midst. So uh, Jesus is disguised in the four-year-old. Jesus is, is disguised in the relative who's come to visit or my husband and wife, especially when they're a little bit upset with me. Jesus mm-hmm. is disguised in all those ways, and we can choose to make our homes places where we pour out God's mercy and by our works and our love, Sometimes our works of love are not so much things we do, but so much more things that we don't do. We have that harsh word 
that we want to get out there and, and we want to be able to express our frustration over something. And, but we feel that little prompting in our heart not to express that, to be patient, to be self-controlled. And when we act on that, Elizabeth is saying that we are adores not only in spirit, but also in truth. We show the truth. We are true by our actions. Now, there is a third way that we can be adores in spirit and truth, or a third thing that we can do, and it's the most important. Uh-huh. That is, as we attend to God, and as we struggle to do the right things, there can creep into our efforts a kind of spirit of self-sufficiency, like, look at me, I'm doing a pretty good job. And insofar as that self-sufficiency there, that is a real block or obstacle to grace. When we notice that self-sufficiency, that tendency to pat ourselves on the back and to say, boy, I finally got this mastered. What we need to do is not be, not get too upset with yourself. That's natural. It's almost involuntary. It has to do mm-hmm. with the broken wounds of sin in our lives. So we're, we, we have a proclivity to pride and ar- arrogance, a proclivity not to rely on God. When you notice that proclivity in lo- your life, the most important thing you can do is turn your attention to Jesus and beg him for his help. Lord, I'm struggling to attend to you in my prayer. My thoughts aren't filled with you. When I think about the theology of the life uh, in the life of the saints or I read the scriptures, I'm doing theological puzzles, but I'm not opening myself to your presence. Jesus, help me. I need your help. Jesus, you were filled with holy thoughts of the Father. Those thoughts have not yet dawned on my soul. They haven't even touched the distant horizons of my awareness. Lord Jesus, would you please share me with that light so that I can love the Father the way you do? Lord Jesus, you were patient and meek and humble, but you always spoke the truth with finesse, and you never failed to do what was right even when it was a painful thing to do, when it called for courage. And here I am in this situation in my house. I'm struggling to be self-controlled. Lord, without you I'm lost. Help me to act true. Help me to be merciful. Without you I can't do it. When we make those kind of prayers, when we look to Jesus, Jesus gives us what we need. Even in our failures, he gives Mm -hmm. us the grace to pick ourselves back up and to move on. And, um, and, and when we do this, we become adores in spirit and truth. The, uh, the, the graces that we have been predestined to receive through Jesus, the Father yearns to give us. We open up our hearts to receive them, and we begin to live our heaven here on earth. Mm. Anthony, what role does sitting silently play in our prayer? I mean, those moments where because we've been nurturing this relationship and we, we talk and we offer so much, what is the role of silence then in listening? This is a beautiful topic, and I'll just pick one facet to go with. And that is, you know, the whole reason why the Father sends the Son and Spirit into our hearts, the whole mm-hmm. Um, that's how the Father is present to us. The Father is present to us because he has sent the Son and Spirit in our hearts. With the Son and Spirit, we're able to think holy thoughts and feel holy feelings that bind us to the Father. 
and so the Father delights in us, and um, in, in by delighting in us, he opens up the possibility in our hearts to delight in him. Mm-hmm. In silence, the main purpose of it is to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And this is something that we don't do enough of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we tend to approach the Lord in a utilitarian way. Uh, we tend to say, okay, I need help with this right now. God help me. And if he doesn't snap to and help us right away, we're angry because he didn't hear our prayer. That's a very mercenary relationship with the Lord. I think it's William of St. Terry says, well, mercenary relationship with the Lord is okay. It's a good start. But that's not the end mm-hmm. game. The end game is to become as a son of the Father, to so be filled with the holy affections and thoughts of Jesus in our hearts that mm-hmm. we can look to the Father the way Jesus looked to the Father. And Jesus um, delighted to spend time, waste time with God. He, he enjoyed the presence of God. He allowed the Father to delight in him by wasting time in prayer. And that's the importance of silence, as we're reading along in a text, whatever it might be, holy reading, Lexio Divina. The purpose isn't to get through the text. The purpose is to let God, through the text, pull us into these silent moments of love where he gives himself to us. And um, sometimes he gives us to, himself to us in these beautiful caresses that uh, Elizabeth was talking about, where you just feel his love. And, and um, it, it's, it's like a, a mother's love, just so much affection is poured out. Sometimes you don't feel the affection. You're just drawn into the depths of prayer, and you just want to rest in the silence. John Paul II says that the spiritually mature long for silence. And the reason why you long for silence is even if it doesn't seem like anything's going on, you're actually enjoying God's presence to you, uh, the presence of his love. You're experiencing in your soul in a deep, deep level the peaceful stillness that he causes when he delights in you, when you allow him to delight in you. So what, what is prayer? Prayer is giving God the permission to enjoy your presence. The most important thing is that God enjoys your presence. That's what makes things fruitful. Sometimes while God is enjoying your presence, he allows you to uh, enjoy his presence too. And when that happens, that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But the, uh, the most fruitful thing of all is, uh, is when the Father bends over us and looks into our hearts and sees in the movements and thoughts of our hearts an image of his Son. This is what delights him. And this is what allows his glory to blaze forth on the earth. Mm, Beautiful. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, 
We hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.